Our Bible reading this morning is taken from 2 Corinthians, beginning at chapter 8, uh, verse 1, and uh, page 939 in the blue English Bibles that you may have picked up, or page 1877 in the black Chinese Bibles. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Well, thank you, Anne. Uh, brothers and sisters, friends and guests, good morning. Great to see you here. Happy Chinese New Year. Uh, I would say that to you in Mandarin or Cantonese, but it would bring much dishonour to you all, so I won't. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to uh, sharing lunch with you on the deck. Uh, my family will be there, a number of our families will be there, so uh, great to have you here. We trust it's a great week uh, from the 5th onwards. Brothers and sisters, I am now in my ninth year of leading Norwest. Uh, it doesn't feel that long to me, but that is what the calendar tells me. I started here in September of 2010. And when you lead a church for that amount of time, you soon come to realise that every year has quite a similar shape. Term one, uh, get your community groups better down for the year, run all your training events for those who will be serving in ministries for the year to come, celebrate Easter. Term two, you really start to find your momentum for the year. Uh, you invest in your new leaders, you organise your youth and kids camps, you make sure all your new ministries are up and running smoothly. Term three, the dark term, the cold and flu term. Uh, lots of pastoral care as health declines and as the challenges for both families and individuals of the first six months of the year start to bubble to the surface. Hold your staff conference. Term four, the light after the dark. Uh, run your pledging campaign for the year to come, run your serving campaign for the year to come, finalise the shape of your staff team for the year to come, celebrate a week on the green, celebrate Christmas, then start all over again. And you know what? There's just remarkable benefit with having a shape and knowing the shape of a year. Energy can be invested wisely at key times for particularly resource-expensive events. Uh, you know what's coming up. You can see well in advance how to stay a step or three ahead of where you need to be. But there can also be a downside. You see, after nine years of doing the same thing, pretty much week in, week out, year in, year out, and to be honest, in a church where pretty much most things go pretty well, there is a risk that you can start to go through the motions. 
that I can start to go through the motions, that the senior staff here can start to think that what we do is simply a job with a formula. It worked before, let's just roll it out again. And after nine years, I've learned what I can pull off without too much effort, the things that people will pretty much love, the things that people pretty much won't. I've been here long enough that I now know how to walk the path of least resistance in pretty much every area of church life. Can I say, that is the last thing you would ever want James or Craig or me to do. Norwest, you do not want church leaders who are going through the motions, following the path of least resistance, so to ensure that the waters remain calm and that nothing rocks the boat. What you do want, and I know this because many of you tell us, is ministers, pastors, leaders here who humbly and graciously preach Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour without fear or favour. You want church leaders who so love you and so love Jesus that they regularly present the words of eternal life plainly, despite the discomfort or even at times dispute that that might bring. And you want church leaders here, be that parish council, be that wardens, be that community group leaders, be that staff, who make decisions in this place not based on popularity, not based on ease of execution, not based on public acclaim, but rather on the vision of the crucified Son of God hanging naked on a Roman tree, that those who repent and believe the good news about his life and death and resurrection for them might come and give their lives to him, taste the goodness of personal forgiveness for personal sinfulness and live life and life to the full. And so... Can I say to you that as I stand before you here on the cusp of 2019, that that is what we will do here at Norwest. Be assured that your leaders will not follow the path of least resistance. We will not be lulled by that or by public acclaim, even if at times that's what we want to do and even if at times that's what you might want to hear. What we promise to doing, what we promise to do with your prayer and with your support is preach the word. We'll be prepared in season and out of season. We will correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So brothers and sisters, uh, my aim today is modest. Uh, I want to share with you three things that will be going on here at Norwest in 2019. Big things things that a part of us will be inspired by and will just love and might actually remind you of the reason you decided to stay and put down roots when you first came. But at the very same time, three things that might make us think, wow, are we really going to do that? And all of it under our vision here at Norwest that we long to see Jesus as King of every home and every heart. 
Now, our approach to all that we do here has to be shaped by God's word to us, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So with that, we are going to start. And today we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 7. The reason I chose this passage is because I'm currently reading through 2 Corinthians in my own Bible study, uh, my own devotions at this moment. Uh, and two weeks ago, I read through this section and I was just so surprised by what I read. And I thought to myself, we need to hear this at Norwest. So here it we will. Now, a bit of background here. This part of 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about a collection of money for the church in Jerusalem, 2,200 kilometers away, Sydney to Cairns, so quite a distance. And at the time that Paul wrote this, the church in Jerusalem was seen as the leading Christian church of the day. Uh, it was a large city church with lots of influence. And like large city churches with lots of influence, we know that caring for the poor was a significant part of their ministry. So a number of uh, regional churches across the area gave money back to the church in Jerusalem to care for the poor, as well as for some other things that they took care of. And in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul reminds the church in Corinth of the importance of giving money back to the church in Jerusalem. That's fascinating because Paul walks this really careful line in what he says here, because he wants the Corinthian church's giving to be totally generous utterly generous, but at the same time, he wants the Corinthian church's giving to be absolutely voluntary. Completely generous, but totally voluntary. That's what he's trying to walk through here. And so what Paul does, it's really very clever, is he says to the Corinthian church, or he tells the Corinthian church of the attitude towards giving of another church, a third church, the church from Macedonia. That's the churches in Philippi, Thessalonica and Berea. So that's the background of where we're up to. And now I just want to point out two things that really took me by surprise when I read this a couple of weeks ago. Can you have a look at verse 2? It says this, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, the Macedonian churches, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I've got to say, I just found this remarkable. What Paul is saying here is that there was a number of churches in the region of Macedonia who were going through a very severe trial. The language here is very strong, not just a trial, but a great test of affliction is what it says in the original. We then read that this very severe trial is linked somehow with poverty, not just normal poverty, but extreme poverty, we're told. But then the surprise... Between these two descriptions of what was happening for these churches is something very special. Their overflowing joy. Now, don't miss that. That's really unusual. You know, when I spend time with people going through very severe trial, I don't often expect nor see overflowing joy. When you think of people in extreme poverty, think of every TV ad you've ever seen. You don't expect to see overflowing joy. But somehow, for some reason, it's here. Now, the surprise continues. Despite the trial, great trial, and the poverty, extreme poverty, this church is overflowing with joy, and all that wells up into an astonishing generosity. Now, what's going on here? How is it that people who are suffering, on the one hand, people who are extremely poor, on the other have this ability, this capacity to be incredibly generous. Well, we'll come back to that. Now look at verses 3 and 4, please. Paul goes on. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. 
Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Now, this is really interesting because you can imagine Paul might have felt somewhat uncomfortable even mentioning the collection for the church in Jerusalem to the church in Macedonia. I mean, they were going through such a hard time. They were so poor. That's how we'd feel, right? You'd think, Paul, no, no, let's not go there. They've got enough on their plate. That, that would be my natural response. But what we're told here is that the church in Macedonia urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Do you see what that's saying? These suffering, poverty-stricken people begged, begged to be able to give their money to this collection 2,000 kilometres away. I have to say that this is very interesting and actually a real rebuke to me. Let me get personal for a moment. Uh, I stand up here every year, a number of times every year, and encourage you to give generously, which you do. This is a very generous church. Uh, in 2019, I'll be speaking to you later in the year about our general offertory through pledging. Around tax time, in the middle of the year, we're going to be looking to shore up our school's pastor position for the next couple of years. But also and significantly, this year, uh, we will have our first ever commitment series as we all consider and pray about making financial commitments to the first stage of our building project, our property redevelopment. And I want to be honest with you, whenever I stand up here and speak to you about money, I feel awkward. I know I don't look it. I've learned to pull that off. But I do. Now, to be clear, I don't feel awkward about much. But deep down, I'm still Australian. And we don't really like to talk about money, politics, sex or religion. For the record, I'm very happy to talk about politics, sex and religion. It's the money one I find most hard. Maybe we all do. Because let me tell you what's going on inside of me. My natural inclination, whenever I talk about this, is that I feel, come on, Pete, you've got to stand up and you've, you've got to convince people to be generous. That's what I think. I think I need to convince God's people that you should give your money to the work of the gospel, that it's good for you to do, that it's what you've been made for, that there will be uh, an eternal uh, investment and reward that comes from it, and so on and so forth. All true. But this passage rebukes me, and I wonder if you see why. Because this passage tells me that I should stand before you and not convince you to give money to the work of the gospel, but simply remind you what a privilege it is for you to be able to share in the work and partner in the work of the gospel by giving money to it. Now, more than that, let me double down. More than that, this passage tells me and rebukes me. It tells me that I should expect God's people here at Norwest to beg, to beg to be able to share in the privilege of giving, that they might partner in what God is doing in his world and through his church. Brothers and sisters, for the skeptics out there, I just want to say this is not spin. <laughs> this is not a clever way ministers learn how to get every last dollar out of a church. It's simply called the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Macedonian church begged to be able to give. And I should expect to see it here as well. 
and I do. Six months ago, I got an email from a family here at Norwest that said this, Pete, uh, it's so exciting to hear about the progress of the building program as the planned improvements and additions will help us reach more people with the gospel. This family gets what it's about. We will not be in a position to make a large donation to the building program, but plan to make regular ongoing donations. We would like to start this soon and wonder if there is a specific account set up for the building fund. Now, this is where it got a little embarrassing. Um, because we hadn't started even talking to people about committing to this, we actually didn't have a fund set up. Uh, and I had to go back to the parish council and say, you know what, I've got a family, they want to start giving. Where do they put the money? Can we do something about this? And we all got onto it and there is now an account. That sounds to me like a modern-day version of begging to be able to give. Nine months ago, I was approached by a man who said to me that he and his wife, uh, in the next couple of years, are planning on selling their home. A significant part of the money they receive from the sale, he told me, is going to be given to the new building project. He said to me, Pete, you need to understand that 10% of every dollar that ever comes into our family's hands leaves our family before it hits our bank accounts for the Lord's work. Sounds like a modern day version of begging to partner in the Lord's work. Now, you're not going to believe this third one because I'm struggling to believe it myself. And it's not in your notes because at 2 p.m. yesterday afternoon, the notes were printed on Thursday. At 2 p.m. yesterday afternoon, I had a phone call from a much younger, recently married man here at Norwest who said to me, Pete, uh, my wife and I have been talking about the billing project. Uh, we've decided to sell one of our cars and give the money to the billing project. Would you like that to go in now or when you do the Capital Works fundraising in May? I said, um, uh, can, I, can I get back to you? Uh, thank you. Amazing. Thank you. And I thought, oh, this, this is going into the sermon. Um, <laughs> that is another day. So that is another modern day version of begging to give. Because here, in all three cases, I did not seek out any of those families. None of them. They all approached me freely and by their own volition to say, Pete, here is what we are doing for the gospel. Which is to say there are plenty of people in this church who are already begging to be partners in the ministry of the Lord. So the question has to be, as we sit here and hear this, where does that come from? But where does that desire to give money to the work of the gospel come from, both in the Macedonian church, but also here in Borkham Hills. What drives people in God's church to be so free with what most are so tight with? What's the source of this astonishing generosity? Brothers and sisters, it's very simple. It's very small. It's very subtle. But it's remarkably profound. It's verse 5. Have a look. Because here we're told that the Macedonians gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So what that tells us is that the Christians in this poverty-stricken Macedonian church undergoing hardship uh, and a lack of everything had given themselves first to Jesus. That is to say that these people were sold out to Jesus and his gospel before Anything else. What that means is that circumstances that came to them were painful, but secondary. It tells us that their poverty was significant and real, but for them, contextualised. 
It tells us that their hardships were difficult, but understood. They had given themselves first to the Lord Jesus Christ. What had actually happened is that these people had come to know that Jesus had endured death on a cross for each of them personally. And they couldn't get over that. So they bought into that. And they saw their lives and their futures wrapped up in Jesus' life and Jesus' future. And they knew that hard times would come and go, that they would have times of plenty and times of not much. But regardless, underpinning it all, they knew there was a rock, which was a rock of life lived, known by Jesus and loved by Jesus and forgiven by Jesus and restored by Jesus. These were people who knew they'd been saved from their sin, but they had been saved for good works. And in this context, they saw being able to support the church in Jerusalem as something they just had to do. Now, don't miss the second part of verse 5, because what flows from giving yourself to the Lord first and knowing he's given himself to you is a life where you do give yourself to others and the needs of others in ways remarkable and unlikely. Like in the Macedonian church, and like the many, many people here, in fact, the vast majority here at Norwest Anglican, who pour themselves out using their time and their talents and their treasures to see Jesus Christ glorified, proclaimed, and to see his church built up and grown up. The vast majority of people here at Norwest who long to see Jesus as king of every home and every heart. Brothers and sisters, in 2019, I'm going to be speaking to you a lot about money, unapologetically and gently. Normal pledging in October, keeping our staff and our lights on. In June, around the end of the financial year, speaking about shoring up our school's ministry while the window remains open. And in May, looking to fund once in a generation change to our property that all who might come can find a seat. To let you know, 9am this morning, record number. 10.45 this morning, record number. We're going to be speaking a lot about money in 29 because, don't miss this, because we long to see people give themselves to the Lord first. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 8, or as he would put it here, because we long to see Jesus as king of every home and every heart. So brothers and sisters, 2019, three big things going on before us all. Uh, I think it'd be great for us to start to get our heads around them now. Here's the first. Uh, it is our building project. Uh, we've been talking about this with you for two years now. As we have said at every point, please know this is not about bricks and mortar. It is about Jesus being king of every home and every heart and us having a property fit for purpose and suitable to receive all whom God keeps bringing to us. We're going to hear much more about this in the first half of the year, in the, in the next six months. We are going to have another whole church meeting prior to lodging our DA with our council, and we're not, far from, uh, we're not far away from letting you know when that will be. We're then going to be running our commitment series for this project called Seek First His Kingdom throughout the month of May, which is going to lead into Commitment Sunday on May 26. Before that, in the months of March and April, we're going to be having our Seek First His Kingdom team visit every family in their homes in the church to present them with a booklet and a DVD of what the building project's all about and then to talk and to pray and to listen and to dream 
about what God might continue to do here in 2019 and beyond. It's really very exciting. Second big area for 2019 is that uh, Craig and James and me, the three ministers here, uh, are going to have some new areas of focus for us in the way we work and the way we spend our time. You know, there was just a number of times in 2018 where the three of us sat down and we said to each other, we, we felt the, the busyness of leading a church like this, which we love, but we just had to keep asking ourselves, are we doing the best thing? Are we doing the right things? And we asked ourselves, what burns in each of our hearts? Well, if you could only do one thing here, what would be the thing you would do for Jesus' sake? And we got some clarity in God's kindness came down to three things. You know what they are? Number one, sharing Jesus with people who don't know him. Number two, helping God's people grow deeper in their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And number three, ensuring that everyone here, everyone, has the opportunity to serve Jesus as they are able. So to that end, in 2019, I'm going to be putting sharing Jesus back on the table. Yes, we've done that every year I've been here through Christian Explored four times a week through our sermons and services and events and so on and so forth. But here's the thing. I don't think that I have encouraged you as best I could have to know the joy and the blessing of sharing Jesus with those you love, know and meet. And I want to say I'm sorry for that. I've reflected on why that would be the case. I think it's because uh, we've grown so fast that I've assumed that we're all sharing Jesus with our friends and families, because they're turning up here and heaps of them every week. I want to say I'm sorry for making that assumption because I'm not sure it's right. So this year, we are looking to rekindle our passion and the opportunities we all have for each of us giving a reason for the hope we have in Jesus. Now, James. James is going to be redeveloping and rethinking the whole way we think about serving. Uh, what James is longing to see more and more of here in the West is uh, people serving in teams where the team itself works out how best to serve Jesus together. Here's what we know. We know that people at Norwest want to contribute. We know that people here love to serve, are passionate about serving. But we've come to see that sometimes the senior staff can think about serving in terms of, and we're driven by what needs to be done, rather than by how do we release people for what could be done, and all for Jesus. We're going to be doing something about that in 2019. And Craig is also going to be working on something critical. Uh, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we all know that what we most deeply need is to know Jesus, trust him, and serve him more and more. We know that. We know, don't we, that a mature and healthy church is one where people are so compelled and overtaken with what Jesus has done for them, that they cannot help but live their lives for him and speak of him and serve him. So Craig's going to be helping us all in 2019 go deeper with Jesus, helping us all want to read the Bible, not out of duty, but out of worship. To pray, not out of guilt or need, but love and relationship. And to live for Jesus, not because our Christianized culture in the hills pushes us and shapes us that way, but because we couldn't help live any other way. I mean, that sounds so good, doesn't it? Craig's going to be helping us think that through in 2019. Well, one final thing we're going to be focusing on in 2019. Uh, in 2020, 
Norway Thanken is going to be involved in something really exciting and something new for us as a church, certainly new in my time here, the last nine years. We're going to be partnering with a number of Anglican churches around us to hold a hills-wide mission. We're going to be putting on a range of opportunities for your friends and your families and your colleagues to hear about Jesus in small gatherings, large gatherings, and everything in between. Uh, that we're thinking there's probably going to be a 2,000-person People, uh, 2,000 person tent meeting uh, at Castle Hill Showground with Sam Chan speaking at that. We're thinking there's going to be a whole stack of TEDx style talks with significant Christian speakers around our area and our schools and churches. And then there's also going to be opportunities for us to speak with your sister or your brother, son or daughter, next door neighbour in your home. From 2,000 down to one. We've never done this before. But brothers and sisters, this is so exciting. Why? <laughs> because at Norwest Anglican, we long to see Jesus as king of every home and every heart. And in a year, 2019, where we're thinking about how we can take more seriously sharing Jesus, what an amazing opportunity in 2020 to be working towards. Now, you're going to be hearing more about this uh, in the second half of this year. Uh, let me finish. You know, some sermons are like uh, a consomme, just an entree, and some sermons are like a five-course meal. Um, this is the latter, but we're up to chocolates, so stay with me. Um, can you look at how Paul finishes off speaking to the church in Corinth in verse 7, please? Have a look at verse 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. 10.45, I reckon that could have been written about Norwest Anglican. Because you need to know that such grace abounds here. It's not too much to say that we abound here in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness and in the love that has been kindled in us. If you've been here more than five minutes, you've heard me say before that this church is a remarkable church. But as Paul sees fit to remind the church in Corinth of the importance to financial generosity on top of all of these other things, so do I. So, Norwest, be generous in 2019 in every single way because we long to see Jesus as king of every home and every heart around us. And my brothers and sisters, we are on the edge of the greatest adventure in the world. It's just before us. And I can't wait to get stuck into it with you all. Let us pray. Good and gracious Heavenly Father, be thou our vision O Lord of our hearts naught be all else to us save that thou art